0: You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post.
1: Hello, and welcome to a special two sessions edition of the Inside China podcast. My name is Jared Watt. I'm the specialist digital editor at the South China Morning Post here in Hong Kong. And you're hearing my voice because your regular host, Holly Chick, is currently on assignment in Beijing along with most of our China-desk team. It's an historic day today as Xi Jinping officially begins an unprecedented third term as President of the People's Republic of China, as the annual legislative meetings known as the two sessions continue in Beijing. The two sessions officially come to an end this coming Monday, when China's new premier Li Cheng makes his speech setting out the economic agenda for the country, and that in itself will be something we'll be watching very closely. But in this episode, you're going to hear analysis of what was said earlier this week by China's newly appointed foreign minister, Qin Gang, and what it tells us about China's foreign policy, as well as what kind of tone and approach we can expect in China's diplomacy with the rest of the world. But before Qin Gang took the lectern to formally answer questions at his first press conference, we heard Xi Jinping give an indication about how China's approach to foreign policy is changing in comments he made at a panel discussion. You're going to hear what China Watchers and Foreign Policy Analysts are saying about that from my colleague Kinling Lo. And early this morning Hong Kong time, I got our North American bureau chief Rob Delaney in the line to hear what kind of response to the two sessions he's observing from US politicians, China watchers and the American media, as well as what's being said about the impending visit to American soil of the democratically elected leader of Taiwan, Tsai Ing-wen, to meet with US House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Beijing sees Taiwan as a breakaway province and hasn't ruled out the use of force to achieve reunification. While the US, like most countries, doesn't recognize Taiwan as an independent state, the US government continues to pour millions of dollars worth of weapons into Taiwan. But first, let's catch up on the two sessions. Well, in our previous episode of Inside China, you would have heard my colleague William Jung discussing the importance of this week's two sessions and the press conference with Qin Gang, the newly appointed foreign minister for the Beijing central government. Now, there were some significant moments in it that suggest what has changed and what hasn't in China's foreign policy. With me to discuss it is my colleague Kinling Lo, who's currently in Beijing working long days and nights covering the two sessions. Kinling, great to talk to you again.
2: Hi, Garrett. Good to talk to you.
1: Now, before we get started about this press conference, can you just give us a sense of the mood there, the atmosphere? Because it is the first time in three years foreign journalists, foreign press organisations have been allowed back into China, back into Beijing. What's the mood there?
2: You're right. The two sessions are finally kicking off when the country decided to lift its very stringent COVID control policies in December ever since the outbreak of the pandemic um, in early 2020. But the fact is, the arrangement for reporters to cover two sessions has hardly gone back to a pre-COVID period. At the SCMP, we have around 10 reporters registered um, for the two sessions because you have to get an extra press card in order to be qualified to apply to go into venues and press conferences at the two sessions. This number we are getting is not the usual number we we get. Uh, we used to have like more than a dozen people that who can be registered. So I think the quarter for each media organization has perhaps uh, shrunken. Before COVID hit, there are a few occasions at two sessions, which would be largely open to any reporters who are credited, there would not be any extra conditions for you to go into the venue. For example, the opening and closing ceremonies. For this year, only six Hong Kong media were selected from a so-called ballot drawing process, to attend the opening ceremony of the NPC. My colleague, Mai Jun, who is a very experienced reporter and has covered two sessions for more than 10 years, was saying that it's never in his um, reporting life that um, SCMP has not been let in to the opening ceremony of the National People's Congress opening day. And that was what happened to us. And even for reporters who get to go into press conferences for example, my colleague Cyril has gotten the chance to cover Foreign Minister Qin Gang's press conference. He had to go through a half-day hotel quarantine before letting into the venue. So while the streets of Beijing looked normal and without health codes, we still needed to be abide to new conditions, even in a post-COVID period, let's say.
1: And of course, we're getting used to seeing each other's faces on the streets here in Hong Kong kindling. It's very interesting you talk about that, what is already a highly choreographed, organized series of meetings. Now, before we speak about Gang's press conference, I have to ask you about a somewhat rare moment that happened just before that event took place on Tuesday. And that's when China's President Xi Jinping specifically named the US and its policies as challenges for his government. Can you tell us about that and why that was so important?
2: Xi Jinping's um, very forthright approach addressing the U.S. directly in his speech during two sessions is perhaps a signal for a greater shift in Beijing's narrative towards the U.S. in the future and in his new term of government, which would start right after the two sessions end on Monday. That's because in the past, when Xi Jinping wants to make... Uh, criticisms on the US, it's more rare that he would call them out directly. He would usually refer to more fake terms like the Cold War mentality for small bloc in the regions formed against China. Like These are the terms that were more commonly used. His directness also would be an address to nationalistic sentiment. Chinese officials would also commonly use a broader term, the West, when trying to address the challenges that China is facing in today's world and how China is being targeted. Usually they would say the West. By saying that Western countries led by the United States would really filter down on who is the specific power that's against China's rise. From my previous reporting in the past month, I also feel that Maybe Beijing also feels there is a need to um, make this clear because at the same time, they are trying to rebuild relations with European countries. Wang Yi, um, now China's top diplomat and former Chinese foreign minister, visited Europe before coming back for two sessions. In that trip, he made it very specific that in this year, um, 2023, he sees great momentum in China-EU relations, and he hopes to see improvement in that. And I think that also underpins like China's new target for in terms of foreign policy this year. And if it's not made specific who in the West they are referring to when they make criticisms, it's hard to have both at the same time. It's hard to say, I want to improve relations with Europe when China has a fair grim outlook towards their relations with the U.S. right now. Perhaps it's in their interest to make that deficient clearer. It kind of
1: sounds like for the domestic audience, Xi Jinping is labeling the U.S. public enemy number one and externally offering the nations of Europe a get out clause where you don't have to be part of the U.S. alliance. You can come and work with us here in mainland China. It's very interesting. So let's get to this press conference with Gang. last we spoke on our China geopolitics podcast in December you previewed something of what we saw from Qinggang at his press conference this week and that was his reputation for being quote street tough but also the indication that his style is perhaps different to the wolf warrior diplomacy we've seen from the younger generation of Chinese diplomats what
2: can you tell us about this? Qin Gang's appearance at his first press conference as foreign minister was an occasion that was closely watched by many geopolitical observers because that was basically his debut to who he is as China's new face in diplomacy. From experts I've talked to following his press conference most people's take on his approach was that the content of his reply was actually very standard. It's not like he presents a new line of China's foreign policy in this press conference, that was also not really what was expected. This annual press conference is important in a way also that it is to set out what China thinks is important in its foreign policy for the coming year. An interesting question that Qingang took in this highly scripted press conference, meaning all the questions were scanned and chosen beforehand, so he knew exactly what to say. He took a question that asked him if there is going to be a shift in China's world warrior diplomacy with his appointment, because um, that is a speculation that has been going on for a few months since his appointment in late December. It is very apparent that he took the chance to answer this question because he wants to tell the world that do not expect him to back down from China's core interests, um, which would broadly refer to territorial integrity and sovereignty um, issues that China has been especially hard on. But then I guess on the other side, we can also take it as he wants to make it clear that it is because China sees the world as being hostile to them sometimes, which he described as um, an environment full of jackals and wolves, then China would need to respond strongly Instead of China trying to take aim at other people and doing it proactively, I think that would be the line of message that he wanted to convey.
1: Let's have a listen to what he had to say in reply to that question about wolf warrior
0: diplomacy. In Chinese diplomacy, there's no shortage of kindness and goodwill. But when jackals or wolves are in power and attack, Chinese diplomats have no choice but to dance with the wolves and protect our motherland. In reality, the so-called wolf warrior diplomacy is a narrative trap. Those who created this trap either do not understand China and China's diplomacy or they ignore the facts and have ulterior motives. Kinling, what are people making of this answer? What does it signal, do
1: you think, about this ignoring the facts or have ulterior motives?
2: It is a, quite a common phrase that Chinese ministry, foreign ministry officials use to, in face of criticisms um, they, they feel are targeted at Beijing. And so that's why you can also hear that he was saying that Chinese diplomats would would have no choice but to stand up and protect our motherland. As somebody who's reporting on China's foreign policy, I would think that no matter who was named foreign minister, our take on his personal approach on things, his character or his his persona, let's say, would be much directed by Beijing's needs instead of who he really is. When I was in D.C. last year at our North American Bureau, I did hear from people who were saying that Qin is a very warm and actually quite a humble person to learn when he arrived in D.C. Of course, that's towards people who are on quite a friendly relations with Beijing. And of course, like I mentioned in previous podcasts, there are diplomats from other countries who said that he's He can be very street tough on meeting tables. Who Qin really is, we would never get to know. The person he tries to present himself as in front of international audience, in front of his counterparts, in front of journalists, is telling of China's face that it wants to present to the world.
1: That's fascinating, Kinling. Now, I've been watching the video of Qin Yang's press conference that's up on our website at SEMP.com right now. And there's a moment where he picks up a book, and reads directly from it, what we might call giving chapter and verse about mainland China's relationship with Taiwan. Let's have a listen
0: to what he has to say
3: here.
0: I would first like to quote two sentences from the preamble of the Constitution of the People's Republic of China. Taiwan is an inalienable part of the sacred territory of the People's Republic of China. It is the sacred duty of the entire Chinese people, including our Taiwanese compatriots, to achieve the great reunification of the motherland. Resolving the Taiwan question is an internal affair of China, and no foreign country has the right to interfere. Killing, there's no doubt this was directed at the US and its relationship
1: with Taiwan, but was there more to tell about this moment?
2: So that was Qin Gang reading from the Chinese constitution. When I was watching the press conference, I thought it was a really interesting little show and tell moment. It would be a message that is kind of similar to what I I just talked about. No matter who is foreign minister, the whole agenda on Taiwan is being seen as an agenda that is not going to change no matter who is in charge. That's when the constitution part comes in and that he was trying to make very clear message that China sees Taiwan as part of the country legally, and it is not something that is only important to Beijing's narrative. They see it as their constitutional right.
1: And he's literally doing it by the book when he gives the answer. But, Kinling, Chin Gang also said the US needs to explain its plan for the, quote, destruction of Taiwan. Now, he's referring to comments from an American radio host who himself was quoting an anonymous White House insider. So make of that what we will. And then in a really interesting turn, he invoked Ukraine. He said, why can the United States talk about sovereignty and territorial integrity over Ukraine, but does not respect China's sovereignty and territorial integrity over Taiwan? Now, the last year, everything we've read from Beijing has been to say that these two issues are totally separate. You cannot equate what's happening in Ukraine to discussion about Taiwan. What can you make of this?
2: I also think it's a very interesting way that he was putting it. To be honest, I think there is no clear answer to why he decided to phrase his answer that way, the way he responded. Because like you said, it has been in Beijing's interest to separate two issues because Beijing basically sees the US as propping Russia's invasion in Ukraine as what it would be if China decides to take military actions on Taiwan. And Beijing was completely against that. And they were talking both publicly and in events that I've attended that it is a bad narrative. It is not comparable. It is too early to tell whether it means anything more. I do not think this signal any change or any shift of stance in um, China's perspective towards what's happening in Ukraine. Well, let me point towards something else
1: in his remarks that were quite interesting. I was thinking it's nearly two years since Joe Biden made his remarks that the US was in a competition with China to win the 21st century. I didn't know the 21st century was a prize, and no one seems to have followed up with Joe Biden about whether the U.S. will share its prize with those of us from other countries around the world. But am I right in thinking that in this press conference, we heard something of a critique, a response from Gang
0: about this narrative? Let's just listen to what he had to say. The United States claims that it seeks to outcompete China, but does not seek conflict. Yet in reality, its so-called competition means to contain and suppress China in all respects and to get the two countries locked in a zero-sum game. The U.S. always claims that they will follow the rules, but it's like two athletes competing in the Olympic Games. If one athlete is not trying to achieve their best results, but is instead always trying to trap the other athlete or even make them participate in the Paralympic Games, that is not fair competition, but malicious confrontation. It's a foul. So kindling you know, athletes, Olympic Games, Paralympics,
1: he's really dialed in the sports analogies there. What did you make of that?
2: When I um, submitted my article for editing on that day after Qing press conference, our sub editor messaged me to ask me about this quote that you just played. He said, "Is this what he really said?" I mean, I guess for somebody who's a high level official, it's it's it would be quite eye-popping to see that he made this analogy on Paralympics because it basically means that Paralympics is inferior to Olympics the way he was putting it. So it was, I would say, a moment of some personal color to it, uh, regardless of me saying that most most of the times um, foreign ministers would present the official line that Beijing decided to take. On top of that, I think that it's good for domestic audience because when you use these colorful analogies, it usually echoes well with the public. Uh, it's easy for them to see how the competition with the U.S. has become in Beijing's eyes.
1: And interestingly, Kinling, there was something else he added in that answer, you know, and it really gets back to what you mentioned about him being, you know, quote unquote, street tough, because he said that if the US does not hit the brakes, but continues on the wrong path, there will surely be conflict and confrontation. Who will bear the catastrophic consequences? You know, that's a different kind of analogy happening right there that has a bit more of a chill to it. What did you make of that?
2: For this part, I think his predecessor, Wang Yi, and all the way up to um, Chinese President Xi Jinping, have warned of consequences um, that the U.S. would need to bear, uh, especially regarding the Taiwan issue. For example, Xi Jinping has said to Biden in phone calls before that you would be burnt if you're playing with fire. On this issue, so it's not the first time they want of consequences, and I guess in a way that's more colorful.
1: So, Kinling Qing Gang's made his press conference. We are, of course, waiting for the next big press conference, which is with China's new premier on Monday. What else is coming up on your
2: agenda? The premier's press conference would be, um. The big thing that everybody is paying attention to because that would also be Li Qiang's first press conference as premier. As for the foreign policy part, Qin Gang is expected to become state councillor on Sunday, which is the day before the two sessions end this year. By this promotion, he will be the youngest official in what would be considered the party and government leadership of China. Gang is 56 this year. Um, he's expected to have uh, some long way to go. With Qinggan's, um expected confirmation as state counselor, China's new team of faces for foreign policy would be all set. But of course, in the background, it's always the top leaders who decide on the direction on where to go.
1: Killing Lo, you and the China Desk team from the South China Morning Post have been working around the clock and our coverage of the two sessions. Lang your stories and all our reporting and analysis are up on scp.com. Thank you kindly for all your work and thank you kindly for making time for us. Talk to you soon.
2: It's an honor speaking to you. Talk to you soon.
1: As critical news stories emerging from China continue to shape lives and business around the world, the weekly SCMP Global Impact Newsletter brings you expert analyses and insights on the economics of COVID-19, society, technology, and the environment. Sign up to receive your weekly email at scmp.com newsletters. Rob Delaney is our North American Bureau Chief and has been covering some interesting developments from his side of the planet in Washington, D.C. while these two sessions are underway in Beijing. Rob, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be back, Jared. Rob, can I start with some of the points we've just heard reported from our colleague Kinling Lo in Beijing? There was Qin Gang pointedly talking about, quote, so-called competition and what it means to contain and suppress China in all respects. And then we had the most unusual moment, of Xi Jinping stating China had been grappling with, quote, comprehensive containment and suppression by Western countries led by the U.S., specifically naming the U.S. Have we heard any response from your side of the world to these remarks?
3: Well, first of all, I should say, what's going on in the two sessions is not really reading very prominently here in the U.S., it really just comes up in the scope of uh, press conferences, right? So, with the State Department and also with the White House National Security Council, many reporters, of course, throwing at them the question, "Hey, did you hear what Xi Jinping said about the U.S.?" and and pointing out that it was unusual for the president to specifically cite the U.S. in this. And they're just coming out with the standard answers. They insist that the U.S. government is not trying to contain China. That the U.S. government is simply looking for this sort of fair competition with China, strategic competition with China. And so really it's just in terms of what's coming out of the two sessions, what Xi Jinping has been saying, what Qin Gang has been saying, it's only resonating among reporters simply because there's just, the volume is so loud in pretty much every other forum in the U.S. government. You know, For example, just in the past two weeks alone in the House and in the Senate, We've had, I believe, more than a dozen congressional hearings that are devoted either solely to China and the threat that China poses, or it's more generally about, like, for example, yesterday with the the Senate Intelligence Committee grilling the intelligence community on the annual threat assessment. Of course, that very much becomes all about China. And of course, the House did their version of the same exact hearing today with the same exact panel of the intelligence community, including the FBI, including the CIA. It's almost like every committee, there's the Senate Foreign Relations Committee has done hearings. The House Oversight Committee is doing a hearing about China. Uh, Of course, last week, we had that brand new committee on the CCP. That was one of the first orders of business in the newly Republican-controlled House. So when you're looking around at what's going on in Washington, it's sort of like China is... Uh, What's the movie? Everything, everywhere, all at once. It just kind of feels like that. And even just with the president's budget that came out today, you know, we wouldn't normally cover that because the administration's budget is usually such a domestically oriented thing that you would expect, Okay, this is going to be a fight over spending cuts for programs. uh, But you know, lo and behold, the press releases come out and you see that there's a special $2.3 billion in discretionary funding to support implementation of the Indo-Pacific strategy. There is $400 million in discretionary funding to counter specific, problematic PRC behaviors globally through the, quote unquote, countering PRC influence fund. So everywhere you turn around here in Washington, there's something going on that's that's China-related. So, you know, going back to your initial question about the two sessions and what the leaders in China are saying, it's complete. It's almost completely drowned out.
1: It's really interesting, Rob. And of course, we're going to see a major announcement on Monday with the AUKUS agreement and the sale of nuclear submarines to Australia. But can I speak to something else that's seemed to be countering the news cycle about the two sessions? And that's about the announcement of the visit of Tsai Ing-wen. What are people saying about this visit? And has this totally gazumped the plans for the US House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to make his own visit to Taiwan? Has this totally negated McCarthy's you know, grandstanding or big publicity moment to make his visit to Taiwan?
3: Well, he's certainly not grandstanding about it now. Uh, of course, the way that he was last year when he was still in the minority and, of course, was taking as many potshots as he could at the Democrats. So now that he's House Speaker, it's it's quite interesting. And what we've learned over the past few days is that Tsai Ing-wen's plan is to come to the U.S. and that's where they will meet. Of course, that's not nearly as dramatic as McCarthy showing up in Taiwan. And it seems pretty clear that the message that McCarthy was getting from Taiwan, perhaps from Tsai Nguyen herself, was that they didn't want to go through all of that chaos that kind of unfolded in terms of the unprecedented live fire military exercises that the PLA put on around Taiwan when Pelosi visited. So that really kind of takes the wind out of his sails for sure. It puts McCarthy himself and the Republicans in general in kind of an awkward position. Because I think they realize that in taking this extremely pro Taiwan stance and anti Beijing stance, they could wind up putting the people that they're congratulating and that they're celebrating, and they're trying to support into a much more difficult situation and perhaps causing more problems, perhaps really pushing them to an area where they do not want to go. So, you know, you have to consider in this sort of situation, there's not much that McCarthy can say at this point, except to just acknowledge that, well, he is going to go ahead and, and meet with Tsai wen It's just going to be in California. And it's difficult to sort of express a lot of bravado about that, of course, because Pelosi was the one who did, in fact, show up in Taiwan. But we're now months on from that. A lot has changed and it would seem that the environment is just not right for it to happen and so i'm sure we're going to see a a meeting between mccarthy and Ing-wen. it's just not going to be in taiwan
1: now rob almost every time we've spoken on email and and chatted the last couple of months i always ask this taiwan act this huge bundle of legislation that we heard about months ago from jacob fromer what's the status of that and you know you told me that Elements of it have been folded in to other acts and more radical parts of it have just sort of disappeared off the agenda. Has there been any other legislative moves from the US to Taiwan?
3: Well, because the Taiwan Policy Act, which seemed so incredibly provocative when it was introduced, wound up in a much more watered down form in the National Defense Authorization Act, that pretty much closed out that chapter. Now that we're in the new congressional session, We don't have the language of that act showing up again yet. And of course, the the most provocative parts of that legislation would have made Taiwanese government officials. It would have given them all of the diplomatic status that diplomats from other countries have without being able to call the Taiwan representative office an actual embassy. It also would have considered Taiwan to be a, quote unquote, major non-NATO ally. So these are things that Beijing was looking at very closely. And of course, it didn't wind up as law. But I mean, so far, there are other pieces of legislation that have bubbled up. As an example, just today, we had uh, Senators Marsha Blackburn, Rick Scott, and Marco Rubio. Okay, so they're all Republicans. They're all quite strident uh, China hawks. And they've come out with an act they call the Taiwan Democracy Defense Lend Lease Act. And it is just what it says it's legislation that would provide yet more arms us arms to taiwan we we don't see the same language we we don't see this attempt to put taiwan on the same footing diplomatically as China and other countries, really, this is just uh, one of these pieces of legislation that would authorize more weapons. Doesn't necessarily mean that those weapons would automatically get sent to Taiwan. So in that respect, it's not nearly as jarring. But of course, as they introduce this legislation, it gives them an opportunity to put forth a lot of the rhetoric that we see from them all the time. Like, for example, with this press release that, you know, just out literally hours ago, We have uh, Senator Blackburn saying Taiwan is our greatest partner in the Indo-Pacific region and their continued sovereignty is essential to challenging the new axis of evil. So that's what's going on in that front. Who knows, you know, with the anti-Beijing fervor that we were just talking about earlier, it's quite possible that a piece of legislation that was as provocative as the Taiwan Policy Act could emerge again Uh, we just haven't seen it yet we should also keep in mind that this particular piece of legislation that i was just talking about so far it's just it's republicans only so we'll see if it gets any traction or you know if it gets any momentum
1: I find it quite interesting there, the words you you quote from Senator Marsha Blackburn about Taiwan being the the greatest ally for the U.S. in the Indo-Pacific. I'm sure that's news to the Prime Ministers of Japan and Australia. Uh, But I see you also touched (laughs) on the congressional hearings with the intelligence agencies. And I see there's been a global threat assessment report presented by the Director of National Intelligence, which names China as the biggest threat, warns China intends to boost its presence in the disputed South China Sea as well as alleging that china is providing assistance to russia but rob i have to ask is anyone asking about the intelligence report on the wreckage recovered from the balloon shot
3: down by ed air missile a little while back lots of questions and of course the questions about that have come up in nearly all of these hearings that we've been monitoring And what we tend to hear, particularly from Republicans, but not exclusively Republicans, just expressions of outrage that the balloon and whatever the balloon's payload had sort of cut such a wide swath through the U.S. And what we get back from the witnesses and the intelligence community is that what they're basically saying is we're learning a lot from this, so shut up. (laughs) And so, like, for example, uh, White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said yesterday when asked about this, that they're not necessarily going to be releasing a whole lot of information about it. And I think what we take away from that is that the folks who are analyzing this are learning quite a bit. And of course, they are sharing a lot of this information with lawmakers in closed door sessions. And I think that's why often what you hear in these hearings is that response. When they're pressed on that issue, they'll say, we will be discussing this further in classified, closed door hearings. Well, Rob,
1: I can see your future ahead. And it's a very busy Monday and Tuesday with this uh, major announcement of the submarine deal between the US, UK and Australia. And I understand it's being held in San Diego, nicer seaside cities, I understand. but. Uh, We'll look for your reports and, of course, all the reports from the SEMP's North American Bureau team on SEMP.com. Rob Delaney, Bureau Chief for the North American Bureau. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you, Jared. That's all in this episode, and that's all from me. But there is so much more to catch up on at the two sessions in Beijing. Next week, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of new regulations for China's tech sector, Beijing's economic plans, and of course, what's being proposed to redress the shock news that China's population is in decline for the first time since 1961. As always, you'll get the full story, the latest news, and the best analysis on our website at scmp.com. If you're one of the lovely, fabulous people who listens to the end of the podcast, I've got a special announcement for you. This coming Monday looks set to be a most historic Academy Awards ceremony with Michelle Yeoh nominated for Best Actress and pretty much everyone else associated with the film Everything, Everywhere, All at Once up for awards as well. We've got a five-star VIP episode planned with a legendary Hong Kong-born Hollywood actor coming in as a special guest. I really hope you get to hear that conversation. See you Monday. My name's Jared Watt. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.